Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And happy Monday. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. Just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends and follow us on social media, on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History, and on Twitter at Snapshots In. So we got a lot of positive feedback last week from our episode. I think everybody got a kick out of it. It was released April 1st. It was April Fool's Day. I thought I'd do something with the guys from on the bench, and I got a kick out of it. I hope everybody else did too. I really enjoyed their Wayne Gretzky comment at the end. It gave me a good chuckle. And uh, it seems like everybody enjoyed the episode too from all the feedback I got. So thank you to everyone for listening and uh, giving me your feedback. I always appreciate that. This week, we've got something a little bit different, but before we dive into that, it's NHL playoff time, and believe it or not, I know everyone's going to be surprised when I say this, but the series I'm not excited about is not the Washington series, but the Islanders-Penguins series. I think this is going to be a pretty good one, and that's the one I'm going to be following, and last week, I asked everybody kind of what some of their favorite playoff memories were, and I think my favorite one was probably 98 when the Caps went to the Stanley Cup Finals and then got swept in four games to Detroit. Last year, of course, being a Capitals fan, that was a big one for me. And and also for me, it was a huge experience. I got to go to games three and four, which was unreal. And it was like a party. That's the only way I can describe it. Other teams, other than Capitals memories that I have, how can you not talk about the 92-93 LA Kings versus the Toronto Maple Leafs series? That was such a, a huge series when you had Gretzky, you had all the stars in Toronto. It was massive. And and I, I just want to take a second, share some other people's and some listeners um, that responded on Facebook and through social media on kind of what some of their favorite uh, memories are. I got a laugh from Matty the Bull, the Game 6 Rangers story he told on the Facebook page. A guy offered him, I guess, a ticket for 50 bucks, saying his friend couldn't come. He jumped at it inside right after the National Anthem. At the same time, he's thinking, God, I hope you guys don't mind sitting with all these Rangers guys. So he was at Vancouver. He saw that Game 7. I think it was the 93-94 series, if I'm not mistaken, when the Rangers finally snapped a streak. So, Matty, thanks for sharing that. And for you, especially, you got to tune in next week. We actually talk about that series a little bit in next week's episode. Uh, I don't want to give that away, but I'll give you that little hint. Also, Mark Friedman, longtime listener. He loved the Game 7, Washington Capitals. Larry Murphy to Dale Hunter, overtime goal versus the Flyers back in 87. Speaking of 87, Julie Codwell liked the the Oilers versus the Philadelphia Flyers, seven-game Stanley Cup final series. We, of course, talked about that in a prior episode with Brad Marsh. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out in our archives. Marsh tells some great stories about what happens after a team loses in the Stanley Cup finals. I got a kick out of that. They still manage to party. Let's see what else do we have. Also, a Twitter follower, Jay Camus, he said, driving from Baltimore to Philadelphia as a kid with my dad to see the Philadelphia Flyers play in the finals. I thought that was cool. He said he still has all uh, six ticket stubs from 79. Another Twitter follower, Kevin Ford, shared with us that his greatest memory was the 2013 playoffs when David Bull and the Chicago Blackhawks won it all for the Hawks to allow the Hawks to go on and get their second Stanley Cup of the decade. So some great memories. Really appreciated everybody contributing. There were a ton more, and I went through each and every one of them. I'm sorry I don't have enough time to share them all on the air, but want to thank everybody again for uh, doing that. I really enjoyed hearing everybody's memories. 
On to this week's episode, I said we were doing something different this week, and we are. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Jeff Tui, and a lot of you might be wondering who Jeff Tui is. Jeff Tui was the GM for the Peterborough Peets for almost two decades. He was also the GM of the Oshawa Generals, and then he spent probably the past seven or eight years working as a scout in the National Hockey League. The guy is a hockey lifer. And while so far we've kind of done a snapshot in a player's career and gone in-depth as possible and really only talked to NHL players... I personally wanted to talk to Jeff Tui because, as everybody knows on here, I've had a fascination with junior hockey. I didn't grow up with it. So for me, it's really neat to go back and learn about the history of the OHL and the WHL. And Jeff, instead of going with a snapshot, we kind of cover his whole career because it was so broad. And I really, really enjoyed this interview. I was incredibly excited to talk with him. And he was able to answer a lot of questions I had. And, and, Talk about a guy that was just a great interview. He told some hilarious stories, one particular about Mike Madonna, another one about Jamie Langenbrunner. He also talked about how hockey was different. And for newer fans that might be listening to this, nowadays, the CHL is still a great breeding ground for NHL talent. But back in the 80s, there were no other leagues, really. You didn't have the Europeans really coming over. The college hockey was not what it is today. So really, if you wanted to make it to the NHL, it passed through the CHL. And these were some rough games. And I don't think anybody has a perspective like Jeff Tui does. So I really, really enjoyed that. I'm curious everyone's feedback on this. So please let me know if you enjoy this episode. We definitely, I'd like to do one or two more with some junior hockey players to talk about junior hockey. And, and Jeff gives us a perspective as an executive, what it was like, but he never played in the OHL and really didn't play high level hockey. We dig into that and how he kind of moved up through the ranks. Definitely a fascinating story, but I do want to get that perspective of somebody that did play in the OHL. And I have someone picked out in mind. Um, I know it's a little bit outside of what we typically cover, but I just had to interview Jeff and I think you guys will really enjoy it. So I'm going to go ahead and we're going to cut this. Go ahead. Here's Jeff Tui of the Peterborough Pete's Oshawa Generals, former Phoenix Coyotes scout and all around hockey lifer. I really appreciate you doing this. I, I got to tell you, I've interviewed tons of guys from the NHL and I don't think I've been as excited to interview someone as I am with you. Jeez, and, you you got to get out a little more. Bro. I, I, <laughs> well, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why you'll laugh when you hear this. I grew up in the United yeah. States. I was born in Virginia. And okay. I first found out about junior hockey, major junior hockey, in probably 1990. I was five years old. And yeah. I remember my dad specifically reading the Washington Post to me and telling me about this guy that the Capitals drafted named John Slaney, who scored yeah. this big goal for Canada. Yeah. And there was no internet. There was no... So I didn't hear anything again about him until probably three or four years later. And I remember hearing that this guy played in this league that was basically like pro hockey for teenagers. And I was completely boggled by this. And it wasn't until I was probably 15 or 16 that I actually learned kind of what it was and what the OHL was and what the Western yeah. Hockey League was. Meanwhile, during this whole time, you were living in all this world. Yeah, I had a, long, a long, long time in it. That's for sure. Over half my life. So yeah, a lot, lot of good memories. But yeah, a lot, a lot of years in junior. Actually, I think all together is about thirty-two. So, um, so a lot of time there. How did you wind up for Peterborough? I mean, I looked at your hockey DB. It doesn't look like you really. And I correct me if I'm wrong. Had really much of a of a high level playing career. No, you know what? I grew up playing and, and uh, you know, loved to play. And I, I was one of those guys, Brett, that I, I thought I was going to be a player. And uh, in my draft year, I was playing minor midget and uh, I got hurt. And uh, 
uh, right around Christmas time and it ended, ended, you know, I, I couldn't play for the rest of the year. And any thoughts I had of, of being a draft in the OHL went down the tube. I mean, and real, realistically, I, if, if I was ever going to be drafted, it would have been late. I, I wasn't, I was a defenseman that you know, I loved to play, played hard and tried to make the most of the ability I had, but you know, my future was pretty limited. So uh, when I got hurt, um, <clears throat> I couldn't play anymore. And, and, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to stay involved and uh, I, I got involved in tier two hockey okay. as a scout, as a scout when I was in high school. Uh, you know, I was, I grew up in Lindsay, Ontario, which is kind of the central part of Ontario and spent a lot of time, you know, running around for, for the Aurora Tigers, which again is a tier two team, never got paid for it, but trying to find them players and, you know, meeting people, making connections. And uh, then when I went to university, I went Northern Ontario to Laurentian University, which is in Sudbury. And uh, I realized at the time that the, the, the Peets didn't have anybody covering the North. And uh, uh, Dave Dryden, who's the brother of Ken Dryden, was the coach and general manager of the Peets. He was just starting out. And I, I remember contacting him and just saying, look, I, I got, I'm young, but I've got some experience in scouting. Um, you guys don't have a scout up here. You know, I'll, I'll scout if, uh, if you need any help. And, uh, he called me back and uh, all of a sudden I was scouting for the Peterborough Peets and um, not getting paid for it, obviously, and didn't have a car. So it was, it was, it wasn't easy. I mean, I was taking buses. I was, I was hitchhiking whatever I had to do to get to games, but, and that's not meant to, to sound like, you know, I'm a martyr. I did, it, it was, you never even thought twice about it. It was just something I wanted to do and loved doing. And then the more I kind of got, connected to the Peets. Uh, Dick Todd eventually took over there and got me more and more involved in scouting. And then uh, kind of a funny story, just to kind of, kind of conclude how I got really with, with Peterborough. Um, when I finished university, I had opportunities to work in different areas, but um, in business, I had a business degree, but um, all of a sudden in the summer, Dick called me and said that they needed a trainer. And, uh, so back then you didn't need to be qualified. So, you know, I taught myself how to sharpen skates. I learned about injuries. And, uh, actually at the time when I first went to Peterborough, I lived at Roger Nielsen's house with uh, Jock Martin, who's now the assistant coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, he came in as our assistant coach. So Jock and I lived together at Rogers on the lake and we'd work all day and then we'd scout at night. And, you know, it just, it just kind of grew from there, but, I had a long kind of relationship with Roger Nielsen working at his hockey schools as a, as a, uh, an instructor and um, became very close to him, which, you know, obviously was a huge influence on me, but anyways, long, long winded answer, but that's how, how my, um, how my start came about with, uh, with Peterborough. And then I kind of grew from there back, back then, Brett, the, the OHL teams didn't have large staffs. I mean, mm -hmm. there was my, there was myself, there was Dick Todd was the coach and general manager uh, Jock Martin was the assistant coach. We had a, an office secretary and me. And, uh, so, you know, I, you know, I had to do the press notes for, for the press room. I found billets. I sold advertising. I scouted, basically did everything, you know, washed underwear for the players, treated injuries, sharpened skates. So really during my time in Peterborough, there's nothing, I don't think at all that, uh, I didn't do, um, relative to, to the hockey business. That's for sure. And then ultimately, I got involved in uh, in coaching there, and then uh, finished off uh, seventeen. My last seventeen years there, I was a general manager. So, really saw a lot of things there over the years. Had a lot of really good players. Had a lot of success, and uh, most of all, had a lot of good memories. 
So I went to my first Pete's game about a year and a half ago. Yeah. The thing with the Pete's organization that I felt like is it was Saturday night and it was um, Memorial Memorial Weekend. Everyone had the poppies yeah. on. And yeah. it seemed like the entire town was out to watch the Pete's. I know the team was smaller when it started, but was it like that in the community where everybody, you know, in, in the U, in the States, we have Friday night football. Was it yeah. like that on Saturday nights where everybody in Peterborough would go watch the Pete's play? Well, it was probably a lot, lot more intense back then, Brett, because mm-hmm. back then there wasn't as much else to do. And, and uh, back then, you, you know, there was, we had two newspapers. I think we had four uh, radio stations, two AM, two FM, and the TV stations. So, so the microscope on the team was was extremely high. And uh, um, you know, as I said, there wasn't as much to do, and and the rivalries back then were a lot different. I mean, when we played Oshawa, for instance, which was long time the biggest rival of, mm-hmm. of the Peterborough Peets, when we were playing the Oshawa Generals, say on a Thursday night or a Saturday night, I mean, you felt you kind of felt the whole day. Um, the, it was just a different day. It was just excitement. Yeah, there was excitement. And, and, uh, so, so back when a guy like John Drews played, um, the interest and the intensity from the city was probably a little higher than it is now. And I, that's not a knock on Peterborough. I think it's in general because there's a lot of other things to do now that, you know, takes a little bit of the emphasis away. I mean, back, back then there was no internet. There was, right, you know, right. you, you really, your choices of watching, Hockey night in Canada on a Saturday night. You didn't have access to NHL games during the week. You didn't have access to to junior games on TV like you do now. So, so you know, watching it live uh, was an event. And and the players on the visiting teams, like all, all the fans knew. I mean, who the hated players were. Um, when we'd go into places like Peterborough or Belleville, the the atmosphere was electric, and uh, you were a little on edge. I mean, when we we used to leave Peterborough to uh, to go to uh, Oshawa, it's only a 45 minute bus ride, mm-hmm. but basically you never heard a sound on the bus. Like it was, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it was, was a complete focus. It was intense. Yeah. And, and uh, not to say that that's not there anymore, but I, I really, I don't think it's there to the same level that it used to be. And I, again, that's, I think that's throughout uh, junior hockey, not just in Peterborough. And you see, this is what I feel like as a guy in the States, I missed out on was the intensity and the excitement, but, but backing up a little bit, you mentioned this and I, and when I read this also doing some research, I was blown away by this. How the heck did you scout when you didn't have access to a car? Well, you know, you found ways. I mean, um, when I was up, up, up in Sudbury, uh, you know, I took buses, I, I, I hitchhiked, I, I was, you know, I made some friendships with some of the older guys that were scouts that would be coming into Sudbury that were good enough to pick me up and, you know, take me with them and, and, that, that stuff I never forgot. Uh, you know, there was a lot of older guys back then that, you know, I think kind of took me under their wing and, you know, welcomed me and took me to games. I, again, I don't know if that happens now like it used to, but mm-hmm. um, you find ways. I mean, I always tell the story. I, I went to a tournament in Sault Ste. Marie uh, one, one night, and or I, I, it was a weekend actually, and I left uh, Sudbury. I got on a bus. So I think it left at 4 in the morning, got me in at 8, you know, watch games all day. It left. Then I caught a bus that night at, at midnight back to Sudbury. So I go back to Sudbury at four in the morning. So basically it was 24 hours mm, of, mm, you know, and again, not, not to sound like, you know, I did anything different than anybody else or it's just something we were back then. And there's people like that today too, Brett, but it, it was just a passion for doing it. And, 
you know, I, I love junior hockey and, and I wanted to be part of it. And uh, that was my focus. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, I never felt it was a hardship or anything. He just found a way. I, I was amazed that the Peterborough Peets would give me an opportunity to, to, to scout and to learn the business. And uh, as I said, I, I learned it from the ground up, uh, you know, from mopping floors, doing doing laundry to selling ads, to coaching, to, to ultimately uh, managing in Peterborough. So um, I was pretty fortunate. None, none of that to me at the time seemed like a hardship. Uh, you know, I look at this and it's almost like you had the perfect undergraduate degree to becoming a general manager because you literally did everything. And as you said, you went from being a trainer, sharpening skates, to being hired as an assistant coach. How did that go down? Well, again, I had a background with Roger Nielsen and, and obviously Roger was a you know, tremendous influence on the Peterborough Peets. He's a Hall of Fame coach. And uh, I, I, I spent every summer with him from the time I was about 16 till I got to an age where my daughters, you know, were old enough that I couldn't afford to spend my summers at his hockey school. But but I, I, I knew, you know, how to run practices. I watched videos with Roger. And, you know, I didn't do it the traditional way in terms of coaching at lower levels and working my way up. But, but I had, uh, you know, tutorials every summer from Roger Nielsen, who – is one of the greatest minds in hockey history. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. So anyways, when they ultimately moved me out of being a trainer, um, you know, they wanted me to get on the ice and work with the players because I'd, I'd spent a lot of time at hockey schools. And, and then ultimately, I became the assistant coach, assistant general manager with Dick Todd, got very much involved in, you know, video strategy. I coached the defense, uh, you know, and, and that was probably of all the time I spent in junior hockey, that was probably the most enjoyable uh, being on the ice uh, with the players, getting close to the players. Obviously, when you're a general manager, you have to be a little bit distant. You still got to care about the players. And, you you know, I, I, I prided myself on being as close to them as I could be. But at the same time, you know, you, you are in charge and uh, there has to be a much more of a line as a general manager than, than there was as an assistant coach. That's for sure. If you had to, I'm sure Roger Nielsen taught you so much, but is there anything that sticks out in your mind that you remember maybe during a conversation or over dinner where you pick something up or there was a piece of knowledge that you can say, man, I'm glad he told me that, or, or that really helped mold your coaching style. Anything like that? I think with Roger, you know, the one thing I always kind of had in my mind growing up that hockey was this sophisticated game and complicated. And the more I was around Roger, just in, in general terms, Brett, he simplified it and it just made sense to me. It, you know, like, I used to think that defensively there was, it was so complicated. He's talked to Roger and we talk about, you know, how, how to defend and positioning in the defensive zone and how to play. And I'm like, I, I used to look at it and say, that, that just makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like right. it, it's so, it's so logical. So, Broke it down. so there, there, there was that. And, and the one thing I learned from Roger that <clears throat> I think really stuck with me was he cared about people. And uh, Roger is one of the, you know, just one of the the best people that that you would ever met and or ever meet, and and I always felt that you know even as a general manager, there's sometimes you have to make hard decisions, but never lose sight of the fact that you're dealing with kids and 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 you could impact them. And uh, so Roger cared about people. I mean, over and above the technical part of the game, it was more about dealing with people, caring about people. Uh, R- Roger was a guy that would willingly share information. Um, you know, I used to think a lot of the high-end coaches were protective and of, of, of their information. A lot of them are, but Roger would just share anything with, with anybody that asked. Uh, so, so there was a lot, a lot of life lessons I learned from Roger that stuck with me. And, 
you know, ultimately when I uh, became the, the general manager of the Peets and was ultimately in charge, Roger's influence was was very strong with me. And, and it still is to this day. He's been gone for quite a while now, but uh, his influence on me and a lot of people will, will never go away. How did Jacques Martin fit in with this whole house? I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like a house of bachelors here. <laughs> well, at the time, Roger was gone to the NHL. So he, he was in, I think, it might have been Vancouver or Chicago. At Probably the Vancouver so his, around the early 80s, yeah. Yeah, so his house was empty. He, he had a, a cottage while at the time he had a, like a smaller place on the lake, and it was just going to sit empty. So so Jacques Martin had been our assistant or had been our, our uh, scout in Ottawa for the Peets, and I was a northern scout. And uh, the Peets had never really had an assistant coach per se, and uh, so they decided Jacques Martin was, was – scouting for the Peets and he was uh, coaching tier two in the Ottawa area. And um, he took a leave of absence from his job as a teacher, uh, moved to Peterborough, uh, settled into Rogers. I settled in with him. And so, so there was just the two of us there. And uh, you know, it was just, it was hockey 24 seven. And it was a great way to start. I was young. I wasn't married at the time. Uh, You know, I could spend, you know, 12, 14 hours a day at the rank. We could scout at night. Um, it, it was uh, it was a great way to to get into the into into the Ontario Hockey League on a full time basis. That, that's for sure. I was gonna say if you can't learn the game in that house, you might as well quit because those are probably well, three of the best hockey minds right there. Well, you're right. I mean, I'd spend all my summers with Roger, uh, and then you know, starting off. I mean, Jock was only with us a couple seasons in Peterborough. Then he went on to to Guelph and into the NHL, but. But we used to drive to games, Jock and I, you know, scouting. We'd be talking about players. I mean, it was it was basically hockey twenty four seven. I mean, you know, I I really never had a social life when I when I was with the Peets. It's, it's amazing that I ever got married and had a family. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it it was hockey twenty four seven, and uh, you know, again, uh, it, it you couldn't ask for more. So I was extremely fortunate to to start my career there, and, and obviously to spend thirty some years there. It's the 80s around this time, and then we'll kind of move forward. I have one last question from this early 80s era. What was with the Cooperall pants? I don't know. <laughs> Those were ugly. I mean, there was only two <laughs> NHL teams wore them. I mean, it was Hartford and, and Philadelphia Flyers wore them. Every team in the Canadian Hockey League wore them, and they were, they were ugly. Um, they, they were hard to look after. The players didn't like them because they were hot. Um, they couldn't get rid of those things quick enough for me and get back to the traditional look. So, so I'm with you. I, I had nothing good to say about that look. <laughs> <laughs> Looked worse in the NHL when there was only one team a lot of times. Like, as I said, Philadelphia or Hartford, whoever they were playing, there was only one team wearing them. So it looked even worse. Moving forward, this point, the OHL was, I think, the game in town. And, and you had the Western League, and I'm assuming you had the Quebec League as well. But, Correct, but yeah. you know, now you have the NCAA and, and you mentioned earlier, we were talking about John Slaney. He came over from Newfoundland at the time. The league was was really a concentrated league. It was mainly Ontario guys. Were there guys at that point that were coming up from the States or, or anywhere else? Or was it really still at that point? Pretty much Ontario guys. Yeah, it was, but it was starting to change. And, uh, you know, there was guys that, uh, and, and in, in fairness, Brett, teams really never scouted mm-hmm. a, a lot uh, down there, you know, and, and uh, 
but there was starting to be interest. And uh, this is kind of a funny story for you, but uh, Dick Todd and I, I, I forget the exact year. It was early 80s anyways, but we went to uh, one of the festivals, the hockey festivals in uh, in, in Michigan. Okay. And uh, I had seen a young player for the Little Caesars at a tournament, and I had mentioned to Dick Todd, this is a guy that you know we should go and, and see. So I took him, we went down to Michigan, and we watched this kid, and he, he said to me, like, this this guy's a star. Like, you know, we should talk to him. And uh, so we went and found his father and talked and uh, committed that we would draft the, the, the player. And uh, he said to us, at the, his father said to us at the time, well, you're too late because there's only one other team to talk to him. And that was the Hull Olympics. And they had a guy, uh, Charlie Henry, who was really actively into the States probably before a lot of teams. And and his father, uh, this player's father said to us, you know, we, we would be very, be great for us to play in Ontario, but we've already committed to mm-hmm. Gat, Gatineau and, or Hull at the time, and, and they're going to draft him. So, you know, don't waste your pick. And back then a player could be drafted by, you know, a couple teams. And, uh, so we went into the draft. Our draft was the same day as the Quebec league. And we passed on this player. And, uh, I remember on the Monday finding out, I went on in the newspapers and I found out that this player that, in fact, Hull had passed on him. And since to panic, we're like, we could have had this guy. And, and uh, we got a call from his father within about an hour, you know, finding out, trying to find out if there's any way that, you know, he could join our team because Hull didn't take him at the time. And, you know, what could we do? And unfortunately, at the time, you had to draft these players. And, you know, we couldn't. It was too late. But the player's name was Mike Medano. <laughs> <laughs> and... So the Prince Albert Raiders added him Ended to their at the time. Him, yeah. You could you could just add him to a to a protected list, and Prince Albert, I, I think, just took a flyer on him. And Mike Medano left Michigan. His, his his if he had his druthers, he would have ended up in Peterborough. But he had to by the rules go to Prince Albert. So so that's kind of the way it was. Really, it was an unknown area back then, Brett. Um, you know, it wasn't. Well, you didn't have internet. You didn't have the technology. You didn't have you didn't no. Just- you didn't. It, it was hard, and and uh, you know we we had some players from the U.S., but I think the first U.S.-born player that we had in Peterborough, and it's it's a great story that really made an impact, was Jamie Langenbrenner. Oh yeah. And uh, when we drafted Jamie, I remember taking him, and and uh, you know people telling me there's there's no way like you'll ever get this guy out of Minnesota, uh, Cloquet, Minnesota. They never leave. You know, they want to play for the U and, and uh, it's a wasted pick in the fourth round. But, but I, I was a part-time scout at the time for the, for the Dallas Stars and I knew that they were going to take him early and that they kind of, their thought was they wanted him to play junior because he was going to have to play another year of high school in Minnesota and they didn't think that was conducive to his development. So, so we took him in the fourth round and, and, I, and I still remember, Brett, it's a great story. I remember calling his mother and, you know, introducing myself and saying we'd selected him and, and, and uh, Patrice Langenbrenner said to me, she's like, well, you know, Mr. Tui, I, I really appreciate uh, that you've you know, selected my son in whatever your league's called. <laughs> and she said, she said, you know, uh, but, you know, there's no chance that my son will go to what, what's the name of your city? Petersburg or whatever it's called. But, <laughs> you know, uh, thank, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate it. But he's not coming, you know. And so ultimately we had to rely on on the Dallas stars getting him in the draft because I knew I was pretty close and still am with Craig button, who was basically the assistant general manager and Les Jackson and Bob Ganey were all there. And so they thankfully took him in the second round signed him, and, and uh, obviously we got Jamie, but great story about that. And, and uh, I, 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 it's one thing I never forgot about Jamie. I remember talking to him 
Brett, after he, he came to Peterborough and I said, Jamie, like, I know that, you know, the Dallas Stars signed you and, you know, that's, that's why you're coming here. But, you know, that had to be hard because you walking away from Cloquet and playing another year of high school hockey, Cloquet, Minnesota, your family was ostracized and, uh, you know, it's a difficult decision. And uh, he looked at me, I'll never forget, he looked at me, he said, from the moment you took me, I was coming. He said, whether it was, uh, he said, whether it was Dallas took me or whoever, I was coming. And I said, well, like, why, why would you do that? And uh, he looked at me, he said, I, I want to play against the best players. And he said, I see, I looked at the stats and, you know, that's where all the best players come from. So I, I want to play against the best. And, uh, you know, Jamie, you know, came in here right out of high school hockey into Peterborough back to back. I think it was 99 points, 100 points, uh, uh, you know, and then the rest is history. Two Stanley Cups in the National Hockey League. And uh, to me, he's a Hall of Famer, but um, it, it just reflecting back on, on American born players. I mean, that's, uh, that's that, that, that he was probably the most impactful American that we had in Peterborough. Uh, we've had others, obviously Patrick Coletta from the Buffalo Sabres and, and others, but, but I think Jamie was the first real impactful uh, uh, American player that we had. He might've been the first American impactful player you had, but when you look at the Peterborough Pete's rosters from the eighties, this was a who's who of the NHL players of the nineties, Mike Ricci, Ty Domi, Chris King, Luke Richardson, John Drews, just to name a few. How did you guys consistently have so much depth year after year? Where did you find these guys? Well, you, you know what? I think we had a real, we had a standard for what we looked for. We, we really wanted good, good people. And we wanted kids that were committed to school. And we really had it. Not that we expected them to be angels or, you know, these, they all had their fun while they played with us, but but we really focused on, on young guys that were committed. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys turned out to have and are still having long, successful careers in the game. I mean, we, we had Dallas Akins, who's mm-hmm. one of the up, up and coming coaches now. Um, you know, he, he was a, a six round pick to us, but became a captain for us. Uh, Chris King. You know, who's now a... Uh, with the NHL head office, yeah. With the National Hockey League. Kay Whitmore uh, is with the National Hockey League. Um, you know, Ty, Ty Domi was a was a interesting one because the year before we had a had had a really good team and we were the favorites to uh, uh, to win the league and we basically waltzed through the league and everything was easy till we got to the to the conference finals against Belleville and we I, we thought we had a pretty tough team at the time but but Belleville I think really out toughed us with some guys and. Uh, I mean, obviously, if we were so smart when we took Ty and we had known he was going to be a thousand plus games in the NHL, we wouldn't have drafted him in the seventh round. But <laughs> he he had an element that that we we really wanted to add to our team. And, uh, you know, Ty is a great story because when he came to us and, and, and maybe this is why a lot of these guys worked out, Brett, like we, we had certain standards that that we did. And we used to have a and it was started by Roger Nielsen. We used to two or three times a week and and. This is hard, but we used to we used to run outdoors with the players would run on a on a country uh, what's a concession which is about a five mile run and it's it's in the cold it's, uh, it's probably it's freezing on, yeah well it's back roads and and these guys were getting chased by dogs at times and you know it was a tradition that the pizza I don't think any other team ever did it and uh, so when Ty came in he basically refused to do it his first year and. Uh, you know, he was adamant that he's not a runner and he's not going to do it. And uh, we said, well, if you don't do it, you don't play. It's as simple as that. And uh, he came back the next year and really 
and, and if I guess just going back, if you look at his first year, he didn't he didn't play a lot, and uh, he, you know he had to had to learn the Pete's way of doing things. And <clears throat> once he bought in the next year and really committed to the running, I mean, you know, the rest is history with him as well. But I, I think w- what we had, like we we again, it goes back to Roger Nielsen. We had a we had a commitment to these kids. We cared about them. Um, we had to find ways because we were a small, small market and we had to find ways to separate ourselves. And I can still remember, for instance, going up north and uh, we played in Sudbury on a Friday night. And uh, there was another team from the OHL. I think it was the Kitchener Rangers were in there and on, on and, and they were going, they had played in the Sioux, I think it was, and on the Friday, then they came into Sudbury. So on the Saturday, both teams were off in the sitting around the hotel and about 11 o'clock in the morning, we were loading the bus to go running. Uh, we had found this route in, in Sudbury that was through the woods and it was a, you know, it was a hard run. I remember the, the Kitchener Rangers laughing at us and, uh, <laughs> You know, we we were we were they were hanging around all day. We were loading the bus and and uh, going going to run, and it was probably November when it was cold. And, oh. and uh, so so that that was something that like I, I also you know I've always taken it with me wherever I went. When I was in Oshawa or was in Peterborough, was finding ways to to separate yourself. And uh, I still say that that run that we used to do, and and believe me, we used to do it three days a week. Um, you know, in, in in the fall until the snow started to come. And it was hard, and and uh, you know the players used to complain and bitch about it, but they kind of they toughed it out together, and I think it built camaraderie and and uh, it built mental toughness. Players learned that they could do a little more than maybe they thought they could, and mm-hmm. uh, and and we really believed we really believed that as a team, you know, we did things no one else did, so we were you know we were better. We had a chance to win, and we believed we could win, and so but it all started with you know, trying to bring in the right kind of people. And, and if you didn't buy in or if you, if you were, you know, like if you wanted to party and have, if having fun was more of a priority over, you know, committing to hockey and, and doing the right thing, then you weren't going to last with us. And there's a lot of guys that, that were good players that didn't last. And there's a lot of guys that weren't great players that, that stuck with it. Like a guy like Dallas Aikens ended up having a long career as a player and, and, and probably an even longer career as a coach because they bought in. And, uh, system. and, and, you know, we learned too, from Ro- Roger's influence about defense first, committing to defense, understanding the game defensively. And I think it, it served these guys well when they left, like John Drews, for instance, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you're familiar with him. I mean, great skater, great checker, defensive uh, IQ. I, I think he learned it in Peterborough and, and, uh, and then that all goes back to, to Roger Nielsen's influence. I think it's, what is it that a lot of NHL players say you can't dangle once you get out of junior, you know, when you're in junior, you might be on the first line, but when you get to the NHL, everybody was a first liner in junior or in college. Yeah. And, 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 and we used to tell players, we we'd tell players all the time, like you, you have to like a play, the coaches at every level want to play four lines and mm-hmm. they want to put you out there. But if every time you go out there, you're a liability, you're not going to get out there. So we used to try and preach to the players, just don't be a liability, like learn, learn how to not be a liability and then you're going to play and you're going to develop and get better. The rest of your game will come. As long as you're not a liability, you'll get on the ice. And, uh, you know, for the most part, we in Peterborough, we played four lines. We, we embraced all our players. Everybody felt important and part of it. And, uh, and I can tell you, Brett, it's amazing to me that over my years, there are a lot of these guys, the friendships and relationships that they built in junior are just as strong today as they were, you know, 30, 40 years ago.
I can't get over that story about Mike Madano. I wasn't expecting that at all when he told me that story. And I was just like, wow, what if? I always wondered how Americans wound up in the Canadian Hockey League back in the 80s because they weren't really looking for American talent. But I did appreciate Jeff kind of going into that and explaining how it worked a little bit and then telling that Mike Madano story and also talking about Jamie Langenbrunner. I thought that was just a great story. So I really appreciate him doing that. And I appreciate him also uh, just giving me some inside information. One last thought after this interview, I don't see Cooperalls coming back, which in a way kind of saddens me. They are hideous. They are awful. But they're part of hockey history. We'll have more snapshots in hockey history on Thursday as we are part two of our interview with Jeff Tui. In the meantime, enjoy the NHL playoffs. Have a great week. See you on Thursday at 8 a.m. for another episode. 